I'm Solray. And I'm Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Keep this in. (laughs) Hi, I'm Solray. And I'm Teddy. And welcome to BCast. Or BCCast. Whatever floats your boat. Uh, We're here. It is episode three time. As you can tell, the two of us are a little tuckered out in this one. Not for any particular reason, but we are recording this kind of late. Also remotely. Yes, this is a remote recording. So I am currently in my apartment, and sorry, you are. I am in the lounge in a hotel in Livingston, a lounge which has lots of fake fruit and the greatest mysteries of the unexplained, <laughs> and also All Too Human by George Stephanopoulos. Oh, wonderful. But it's a... S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-P-O-U-L-O-S. <laughs> wow, this is off to a good start. Yeah. Anyway, good to see you all. Sorry it's been a bit. Let's see. <laughs> good, to, good to talk to you all. <laughs> wow, call me out, okay. Yeah. Um, it's good Good to talk to you all. It's It's been really, really a busy time for everybody, and it's mm-hmm. actually really, really nice to have Thanksgiving back back you know just to have a break in general after everything that's been going on both like academically and socially and like everything Mm. we're just we're all you know pretty exhausted uh you know on one hand we are recording this at 10 50 at night on the other hand 10 47 it says 10 well actually wait my computer clock is wrong my phone you're right i'm sorry it's 10 47 (laughs) yeah i'm sorry uh (laughs) Aside from that, you know, it's just been a very, very exhausting couple months. Solray and I, as you know, are seniors, so we are at the helm of the college process. Um, but, you know, we're, we're making our way through. Uh, we're finding ways to not stress out so much. And, I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm managing. And here we are, BCast. The college office, for those of you who don't know, ask for all applications to be officially submitted by December 18th, 15th, one of the two. Some, around that time, I'd say like between those, between those days. And it's interesting because you think, I know that I thought at least that going through the process when I was only applying to, I only applied to two schools early action, but I, I thought that. I thought that that was like really stressful and it's mm. interesting because now this is the largest wave. Now I'm applying to eight and it like, I thought that the first part was, was uh, stressful and like nerve wracking, but this next part is probably more. And also everybody starts to hear back from schools on December 15th as well. People were always telling me like junior year is going to be the worst and you're going to hate junior year. And Junior year academically, I I don't know. I it didn't. I I wasn't under too much stress. Like I wasn't. Too, I was not too freaked out. Neither was I. I mean, it's difficult. It's a step up from tenth grade for sure. But I feel that senior year has been the most daunting, considering. I don't know. I just think the chat, the bar has been raised, and then we have this other thing to deal with, and that's a lot. So, you know, it, it, it's it's a lot of pressure on us. But to all my seniors out there. I know you've heard it a thousand times, but you know, we're going to be fine. This is a couple months taken out of our very long lives, you know, 
to stress out. <laughs> but uh, as long as you, I mean, I think this, this really is a good thing though. Like, you know, being able to understand and manage your stress. I think that's something that we're all going to have to deal with in the future. So I'm kind of glad this is happening now as opposed to later. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'd say personally, the hardest part is less applying to the colleges and more keeping up with schoolwork at the same time. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's also one of the more important times in terms of that. And, you know, you're applying at least to, as you said, the uh, most important colleges on our list. And with that, you feel like you should put 100% effort into there, but then you can't forget that you also have this other schoolwork to do that is also mm. just as important. But at the same time, we're almost done. I mean, come December, it's really just that's when the mental torture kind of begins when you have to wait until you hear back from colleges unless you're a very sure. fortunate senior and you hear back from your EA or ED. I hope I hope all of us do that and then we can all chill and, and hang out together and enjoy these last minutes, well, these last months that we have with each other until this era of our lives is over. Yeah. I think that's that's a reality that's like just hitting me now. I'm not going to be around you guys. <laughs> and like that... You know, that bothers me because like I, I was, you know, I, I, I won't lie to you. I, I didn't have like a very fun middle school experience coming here to BC. It was just like, I thought it was such like a drastic change for me just because in general, people I thought were, were very welcoming of me. And like, I, I had like an immediately better social scene because of it. I know people love to be cynical about their schools because that's just the nature of how high schoolers work. Like they're just going to be cynical about whatever, but no, like we're, we're really lucky. Like, I'm going to be honest with all of y'all. Like we lucked out and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've just had a really great four years, so I'm getting emotional about that. I hope I end up, you know, still communicating with most of you because honestly this, like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't picture myself ever doing like a high school reunion type thing when I started high school mostly because I didn't really care about like a community that much. And I just kind of wanted to learn and get out of there. And it's like only towards like halfway or even maybe through the, like the tail end of last year, you know, with everything that went on uh, in our community, did I really realize how much it meant to me? I guess that's just, what's going to be so like painful about it, you know, just leaving all of you guys, but we, we, we will, we will have reunions. We'll be fine. We'll live. We will. And and unlike some of the charity events that we've tried to do for our prom, y'all seniors better show up to those mm. reunions. Otherwise, I'm going to throw Please, a Please, like, <laughs> like prom aside, that, that's already a tense enough issue in our grade. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I honestly think that's, that, that's the most uniting part of it. Like the fact that we are all pissed off about it. <laughs> like, like and no one seems to agree on any sort of prom issue. And yeah we're trying to do all these fundraisers and we are severely below what we need to have this isn't a podcast anymore this is a cry for help like we need donations but like <laughs> uh, I, I don't know I, I think that's like part of the experience and i i honestly look forward to grade meeting a lot like just because when we started off grade meeting it was just so like divided mm -hmm. and, pr and pretty clicky too and then as time went on 
we just arrived to like saying like just random things that just make sense to everybody in the room and we're all like clapping or laughing or something like the whole like the whole sports thing that's why i really want one of the seniors to or just one of us in general to distill upon the rest of the high school community all the inside jokes that our grade has oh, because yeah. i honestly this is like no offense to grades before us or grades that are going to precede us after we graduate but i think our grade has the most inside jokes out of any grade that i know that's probably true like i think we really do have a lot going like inside of our little 75 person bubble like yeah. there, there's more going on than like i think most other groups definitely i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm really gonna miss that because it's just so many like different people all united under like gray jones or another like <laughs> don't give I'm him sorry. all the credit <laughs> I, i'm sorry gray i'm like i'm calling you out but you know every time you end up saying something everyone starts to laugh so yeah. <laughs> yes I, I just think there is there's a uniting factor among us shout outs to our grade I, and i wish you all the best in this process hopefully it works out uh, i think it, and it's gonna work out for everybody like no one's gonna end up at a place they they, they hate and for the rest of you just just keep on pushing through. I know that, you know, senior year may seem like, if you're in ninth grade, it may seem like years of, well, it may feel like it's it's like so far away, but it's going to come up really, really quickly. And you got to make the best of your high school experience. Like you may have moments when you really, really dislike people in your grade or just dislike people in your life in general, but you're going to realize how much they actually mean to you when you're in a moment like Teddy and I are and the rest of the seniors are where it's about to be ripped from us and yeah. we're about to be embarking on a lives on on a new step of our lives where we're going to have to meet new people and we're not going to have those people that we get angry with to see mm. every single day and just like just live it up i know that high school seem, sometimes seems like the end of the world and sometimes it seems like you can't keep up with stuff and that people are just like really really clicky and stupid which is very true there definitely are moments when that happens but at the same time you kind of have to embrace it because you're never going to have these four years ever again and <laughs> it's it's hard to say that now because I know that my dad my dad was always like yeah I'm so happy you're in high school you get to like that that was like one of the best times of my life and i was always like yeah yeah dad whatever you yeah. say but like you know after like i i feel like i sound like a somebody who's way older than i actually am saying saying this and reflecting upon it like this but you really gotta you really gotta like live these years up and if you get if you fail a math test who cares it was yeah. you know everything else there's so much more for you and life and and you're gonna look back on that and you're gonna look back on that test and be like I remember when i failed that math test and all my friends made fun of me for it or something like you're gonna remember that and you can't leave that behind yeah honestly that was very inspirational <laughs> it was it got, it got real heavy but like i i do want to impart like some tips for people beginning the college process or even not beginning, and I think that's the point. Begin early. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly recommend, and I really, I, I just cannot stress this enough. I've already talked to a current sophomore, and we talked about standardized testing a bit. 
like dude start early <laughs> dude that really? that screwed me up i still I don't know i still don't have the test score that i want if that makes any of you guys if if anybody in the school listens to this while they're going through the process like let's say if any of the juniors go back to this episode like you'll know like you may not get the score you want and you may regret some things about it like i regret not starting earlier and i started in junior year Mm. and also take both tests take Mm. them both one of them will work better for me for you i guarantee it like i waited too long to take the act and i do way better on the act so take them both i promise you you will not regret it i i i can fully recommend that strategy and if you if you don't want to you know end up paying and sitting through both just download practice like full length practices of both do them both see which one you do better on take full length tests do not take i mean you know take like the psat and like the the diagnostics and stuff like that but i i think to truly figure out which one you're better at take full length tests that will save you and don't skimp like take the actual break times and and like lock yourself in a room don't use your phone and like there there are plenty of free tests online let's say you can't afford like a princeton book like there are like literally hundreds of tests online from act and from sat there's a lot for you out there like uh and they're all designed to really help you out here it's just like man (laughs) i i just i cannot stress that enough start as soon as you really can like and the sophomore who i was talking to he he said he's been going through like the occasional practice problem already and it's like good yeah what a good call like start start standardized testing early because then when you actually get to like the touring process like looking at schools or interviewing or writing or anything like that you know it'll take all that burden off of you it'll take so much burden off of you just knowing that okay my score is representative of who i am because I, my first, I took three SATs and it took me until my last one to get a super score that I felt represented my ability. Because like beforehand, I was just like, okay, something is not shining through on this. Yeah. And I know I can do better. And so I'm going to keep working until it, it shows. So I did. And I, I'm glad I did. I'm just frustrated that it took that long. That's honestly like that phrase is the paradigm of my high school experience. Like I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm just really upset it took that long. This podcast, this is something I wish we like we we came up with. Sorry about that cut there. Someone walked into the room. You know, like this podcast. I wish this is something we had started in like ninth grade. I wish this is something that we could have spawned at that time because I feel it could have been on a bigger scale than it is right now. That being said, you and I, we were friends in ninth grade, but you know, we weren't as close as we are now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I still wish like this is some this is an idea that would have dawned upon us way earlier. To a degree, you know, it it took, you know, a kind of internal revelation to get there. It took realizing how important the school's community was to me. For me to realize, you know, I want to do this. And then I contacted you, who like I knew would be like the best partner to work on this with. Aww. And <laughs> here we are you know, recording episode three of our podcast. So I think that's pretty neat. 
I do too. And, you know, (laughs) one reason that we thought it would be important to talk about this too is that this is one of, I know we've only had three episodes, but this is one of the last episodes where Teddy and I are going to be primarily working on it because we do have to set up for next year. And part of that, yeah, and part of that means introducing some less interesting, no, kidding, (laughs) introducing some people to the stage who are going to lead the podcast into the future so that it continues to be successful and that I can listen to it in college and show all my friends and be like, yeah, your boy started that. (laughs) (laughs) We have some ideas for people we would want to see host the show, but if you're interested, please reach out to us. Like if you have a dynamic duo who you think would be a lot of fun, just, you know, give us a ring. Uh, just find us in the hallway, email either of us. We want as many groups as we can find so we can hopefully lead the show in the, in the best direction we can for next year because that, that's really the goal here. And if you don't know who we are, if you don't know what we look like and you're just a, a fan of the podcast, yes. go to Mr. Mabry, who I, I mean, hope wow, you, you are all missing know. out if you don't know. He's, yeah, he, he sits all the way to the left with his computer and in the, in the library, pile of just next to Ms. Murphy in the library. So. But yeah, thank you all for all the support uh, on the podcast. And, you know, I wish, as Teddy said, that we had thought of this sooner so that we could be your host, uh, your complete host for longer. But definitely give whoever uh, we try out in these next few episodes some love. And uh, we'll keep you posted on how college and such and stuff goes. And maybe we'll talk to a few juniors uh, throughout the year so that maybe you guys in lower grades can also get a little bit of an idea of what it's like to be in that position because Teddy and I are both peer leaders and I know that I've gotten a lot of questions from my peerlings about what it's like and I know that some of them already start stressing for college as well and I think that that would be important for us to pass down to you. So with that, sorry. We are doing the thing that we said we would do last Uh year but never did. (laughs) last year we talked about plugs and if you had anything that you wanted to get out to the school uh, for you to have it on the podcast i think it is a lot more fitting now especially considering that announcing anything for co-curriculars or affinity groups is now banned at morning meeting uh, for this to be a platform for things like that and also other things so let's say that you have a out-of-school charity event that you would like people to know about. Um, You can contact us, and it is completely free. Just reach out to us, tell us what your idea is and how much help you'd like with your advertisement. Maybe you want to do some sort of improvisational musical thing. We have musicians for that, so I'm sure we can figure something out. Or maybe you want a a silly jingle, like a Cars for Kids jingle, or maybe you just want a support for this podcast is brought to you by whatever your thing is. The Improv Club. Yeah, we the Improv (laughs) Club, yes. Uh, you We are more than open to do that. And if that interests you, uh, you can contact us in the various ways that we just previously mentioned. Again, you can contact us by finding us in the hallway, just letting us know. We'll be sure to write down what you want us to say. But if you want us like really to mention something specifically, we recommend emailing the two of us with the subject saying, 
bcast plug or something along those lines because we got to know when something's a plug and when something else is you know another fan mail and <laughs> yeah for from our, our loads of fan mail piling up on our desks right now like i'm just i'm sorry i'm looking to the left looking at all the all the letters i'm receiving saying wow teddy i love bcast i cannot stop listening to your show <laughs> please never stop doing this and it means a lot but uh with that sarcasm out of the way uh we would like to introduce you to episode three have some stories for you so get ready a month late maybe but you know you'll see all right folks run away and enjoy your weekend i was already packing up to leave my algebra class even before mr quark said his goodbye he always had the habit of dismissing us a good seven-ish minutes before the period ended and i was not having it with the quantum formula what do i have to do plus and minus but then the answer is x equals 7 or x equals negative 5. To me, that's so dumb and pointless. This whole class is too. Gosh, I hate math. I wonder if it's possible to just... Bless it up, Mr. Quack. Karis's comment snapped me out of my anti-math thoughts. Eve, let's go get muffins. I'm hungry. Muffins. I skipped breakfast today. No wonder I was so annoyed and couldn't get through a single problem on the brightly yellowed paper. I was hangry. I finished packing up my things and booked it downstairs. I bumped into my friend, Emily, and caught up with her a bit. Oh my god, Mr. Ruben is so great. Like, physics is boring, but he was telling us all this story about this time outside the country where he spent with his monkeys and... Um, I love you and Mr. Ruben and the monkeys, but can we please get a muffin or something? I am starving. Emily looks at me and turns pink in response to me telling her to shut up in the kindest way possible. She nods, and as we head downstairs and she continues to tell me the story about the monkeys, we bump into Miss Finnegan. Or, more accurately, we were on the left side of the stairs and she was on the right, and in me throwing a peace sign, I somehow lost my balance and fell on her. While she and Emily helped me up, I laughed and said, Today isn't my day. Once I get a muffin, I swear. But Miss Finnegan cuts me off. Amna, she says curtly. It is 1040. You better not go into that cafeteria unless it's 1045. At that, she continues to walk up the stairs. Um, I said as soon as she was out of earshot. No, I'm going to do what I want. I turned to Emily and she shrugs. Maybe we should just listen to her. I mean, it's only five minutes. We can put our bags in our lockers and probably bump into Chloe or something, she reasoned. But Em, I'm so freaking hungry. I didn't eat anything, and I got a chem test after this. Like, let's go so we can at least get the good chocolate chip ones. She sighs and throws up her head and arms, as if to spread discontent and annoyance. Whatever it meant, I didn't care. I was hungry. And everyone was in the cafeteria anyways. Besides, Miss Finnegan went upstairs, so it's not like we get in trouble. What's the worst that could happen? So, after grabbing some hand sanitizer and pushing through the doors, we enter the familiar cool space of the cafeteria. 
I grab some napkins and hand one to Emily and speed walk to the muffins. I hear Chef Bridget call out a, good morning, but I already picked up a muffin and shoved it halfway down my throat before I could respond. Chill, Emily laughed, picking up a corn muffin next to her. I shook my head and turned my head to see the clock. And it's only 10.42, I joke. As I get the words out, though, my throat starts to burn, almost as though I consumed acid or fire itself. What begins as a cough turns, turns utterly violent, me choking, sputtering, scratching my throat as a way to get rid of my internal pain. I had no idea what was going on. Amna, are you good? Emily asks in a frantic panic, setting her muffin down and moving towards me. By now, the cafeteria door opened and I could hear more people come in. But when I tried to speak, I just couldn't. I took a step towards Emily, grabbing her shoulders and felt my eyes widen, seeing the fear in her eyes. Our friends who just came in running in my direction, the dropping of some utensils, before I saw blackness. And then nothing. All right, folks, run away now and enjoy your weekend. I've rubbed my temples. What just? Bless it up, Mr. Quack. I turn and see Karis packing her notebook into her Jansport bag. Eve, let's go get muffins. I'm hungry. No. No way in hell am I in some Freaky Friday sort of creepypasta gone wrong. Not possible. I'm just having deja vu or something. I hurriedly pack up my things and almost run into Emily when I get to the first floor. I opened my mouth to tell her the freaky daydream I was having when she said something that made my heart drop. Amna, oh my god, Mr. Rubin is great. Like, physics is boring, but he was telling us all all these stories about his time outside the country where he spent time with his monkeys and... Oh my god, Em, stop. I said, horrified. I must have really seemed startled because Emily looked really concerned. I'm sorry, I just think I might like physics now. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I replied, shaking my head. What was I doing? I was being weird and acting this way for what? Some weird daydream that ended in me eating a muffin and having some next level allergic reaction? And I was being rude to my friend. For what? Sorry, I'm just hungry. Can we just get a muffin? M nods, and as we head down the stairs, I see Miss Finnegan. I nearly slip down the second half of the stairs. Emily helps me up, and when Miss Finnegan asks if I'm all right, I'm too stunned to speak, so Emily answers for me. Today is just not her day. She just needs a muffin. It is 10.40. You better not go into that cafeteria unless it's 10.45. I didn't realize I was shaking until Emily pointed it out to me. Amna, let's get a muffin. It's not that deep, you know? She's not going to tell anyone in... Can you just come to the bathroom with me? I blurted. I just want to splash my face with water. Emily seems unfazed by this and nods. We head to the bathroom and I throw water on my face, spilling it over the sink. Drying that and my face up, I walk with Emily back to the cafeteria. I see a lot more people when we bumped into Chloe, who was in deep conversation with Teddy Friedman, about who really was the goat. (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) The four of us walk into the cafeteria and I start to feel a lot better. I grab a napkin and meet them by the muffins. I pick one up, but before I buy into it, I look around to check the time. 10.46, the clock read. I smiled. Now, if this was some freaky Friday junk, the clock would say 10.42 or something. 
I happily bit into my muffin and turned to finally hear the entirety of Emily's monkey story when I feel something rising in my throat. I felt sick. My throat felt like it was on fire. I tried to hold the coughs, but they came out of me so vehemently, I'm surprised I didn't cough up the muffin itself. I felt arms around me and heard Chloe and Emily asking if I was good, but I couldn't open my mouth. I was losing sight, seeing them, then darkness, a blinding light, and then once again, nothing. All right, folks, run away and enjoy your weekend. My heart sunk. At any point now, Karis would say, Yes, bless it up, Mr. Quack. Eve, let's go get muffins. I'm starving. I felt a burning sensation, this time in my eyes, because I was cursed. Cursed for having gone into the cafeteria before 1045. That was a creepypasta by Amna Tariq. And here is the next segment. Cast listeners, uh, today we have a very, very special interview. Uh, with me, I have Chloe Poyo. Hi. <laughs> she, she is. I, I'm just gonna say, the best interviewer ever. So that is very true. <laughs> she knows it. And with us, we have our new head of school, Dr. Lisa Waller. Hello. Good to be here. Hey, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad you are. <laughs> <laughs> Just to preface, the beginning's always the, the worst part of doing these. Okay. <laughs> um, in my, you know, two episodes of experience, I can say for, for absolute certainty, that's always the beginning. I mean, but we'll we'll I, hit our stride. We, we will absolutely yeah. hit our stride. Okay. You know, this was anticipated as coming out sooner than later, but mm-hmm. here we are, later. Uh, so how has your summer been, and how has your first month and a half at being at Berkeley Carroll been. Okay. Well, the summer was busy. Um, I lived in Harlem before taking the position at Berkeley Carroll, and so I had to move house. And I had been in my house for 16 years, so that was a lot of moving, a lot of boxes, you know, a, a lot of transition there. But it's done. We have a few boxes that are still unpacked, and I think they're going to stay that way. But we we now live in Park Slope, which is great because it means that I can walk to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's great for me given right. the hours, you know. So <laughs> you leave school late, but you only have, you know, a 10-minute walk. It's better. I'm jealous, I've got to say. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's always the people who live closest to school that have Become the most the difficulty latest. getting there. <laughs> So moved. Um, and also, you know, there was a lot of, of learning to do just in terms of getting acclimated to Berkeley Carroll. There is a gathering sponsored by the National Association of Independent Schools each summer for all of the new heads of school mm. across the country. And so we all got together in Atlanta. Mm. And that was really exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah, I learned a lot. And as you know, there's a new head of school at Packer and there's a new head of school at Brooklyn Friends, there's mm. a new head of school at Brooklyn Heights Montessori, and big year. Here. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. for Brooklyn. Here Brooklyn. Yeah. So it was good to meet those folks and get to know them as well. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Then I had a quick dash to France for a family gathering. Quick dash. It literally was a quick dash. It was basically a weekend, but it had to be done. It was like an obligation that could not be avoided. So I had that as a little vacation. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, mostly just transitioning to Brooklyn, getting to know my trains and to know oh, my yeah. way around this area. So it was good. 
I enjoyed it. And the transition has been great. I have to say everyone at Berkeley Carroll has been so welcoming. I keep saying it, but I can't say it enough. You know, from the youngest children who have come up to me to ask me how I'm doing or if I know where I'm going to the oldest students, I find that um, you all are a very open group of young people. And I really appreciate that. That's why I've made my career with young people, but just very, (laughs) very accepting. Um, and then colleagues, you know, who have helped me to get to know the school in so many ways. So I've really enjoyed my time here. Mm-hmm. I keep looking over my shoulder, waiting for like the bad days, but so far it's been good days. <laughs> Thank God. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you've been in education for a long time, and specifically you were at Dalton for over two decades. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know what drew you specifically to Berkeley Carroll and what made you say yes to the job? Okay. Well, you know, I was comfortable at Dalton and there were lots of challenges. I had many different positions over my time there. And so I always felt that there was opportunity for growth. My, my children were at Dalton as well. Um, and I think what happened was when I was solicited this time around to consider being ahead of school, it made more sense to me than it had before when I had been solicited in the sense that my oldest child was in college, my youngest child was like well into high school. And I was like, you know what? I could, I could consider doing that. (laughs) And so then I started, you know, checking out the information about BC and I was struck by the prospectus for the job, the way it was, the school was described, the way the position was described. You know, I checked out the website. I had a few friends who worked here or who, who knew the school in a certain way. And I was like, I like the sound of it. And (laughs) And then when I met people, I guess the real, the real clincher for me was the people who I met Um, made manifest the things that I'd read about BC. So it's like they lived, the people lived up to the reputation for the school, lived up to the um, the literature about the school. And I really liked everyone I met um, and felt that people were really thoughtful, funny, engaging, warm, creative, nimble, all of those things. And so then I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this. And, um, once I was offered the job, by then I was totally sold on Berkeley Carroll. So I I hate to think of what it would have been like if I had gotten bad news, but I was, you know, there was no thought of saying no at that point. I really was, um, a hundred percent excited about BC and hoped that it would work out for me as well. So when I got the call, I was very happy. Uh, and just kind of following up on that, Mm -hmm. uh, what are your, favorite aspects of, as a bit more general, of being an educator and what really drew you into education when you were in college as well? Okay. Um, I guess I, I love seeing how students evolve over time, whether it's over a year or um, over a longer period of time if you have the advantage of advising students, for instance. Mm. And I really enjoy watching students uh, take on new challenges. Some of them are quite easy for them and you see how they just immediately are flying high and others more challenging and you see how students wrestle with difficulties in their studies. Um, I like the opportunity to think about students as a sort of total person rather Mm -hmm. than just student in a particular class. So I really enjoy hearing what's going on in my students' lives, the struggles that they are having with friends, the excitement that they're having with a family vacation, you know, their dreams for the future, the co-curriculars they want to start, the rules of the school that are aggravating to them, the rules of the school that they enjoy, you know, so I I just like the the full thing of being in in school with students. Um, I also feel that 
a sound educational foundation in terms of skills and all of that, but also in terms of relationships, like being in school with adults who care about you um, is something that ends up helping one as an adult to be um, grounded, uh, to be multifaceted, to be confident, to be kind, to be gracious, um, to be willing to take risks and to learn, right. you know? And so for me, I've talked a lot since coming to Berkeley Carroll about my own experience as a student and how at every level from, you know, being a three-year-old in school all the way through graduate school, I had the benefit of teachers who really cared about my growth and who I feel were so invested in me that they would take my successes and my challenges as their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. It's just, yeah, you know, it's just like, it's an exciting relationship. It's, it's very adjacent to parenting in my opinion. Um, you know, so when I'm talking about my kids, my friends are always like your kids, kids or your school kids, (laughs) kids. but you know, it's adjacent to parenting and I think it's, um, equally rewarding and sometimes equally challenging. So Mm I love that. I think I always wanted to be an educator. So I was thinking in those terms before I was even in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I've told the story that even as a child, you know, I would line up my dolls and my stuffed yeah. animals. And I had this amazing, amazing blackboard. It was black on one side, green on the other. <laughs> it was on a stand. You could flip it, have my little chalk. And I'd be up there like doing my lessons and calling <laughs> on them and, you know, pretending that they were answering my questions. So I really loved being in school and I really admired my teachers. When I was in college, I did do, although I didn't study education in school per se, Mm -hmm. I majored in Africana studies and in English. There was a double major and then I minored in women's studies. But I did do um, some coursework on education. And as, as a part of that work, I had a practicum in a public school in the town of Oberlin where my college was. I went to Oberlin College. And I worked with a, a classroom of students in special ed, and I really enjoyed that, mm-hmm. you know, riding my bike over <laughs> to the school and being in an actual classroom. It felt kind of magical. I, I related yeah. it directly back to when I had that blackboard and my stuffies, but these were like real kids. So <laughs> <laughs> were exciting. So I enjoyed that um, and then went on to teach at Milton Academy. Um, and that was terrific. It was like literally they threw me into the classroom immediately and were like, try to make that work. (laughs) And it did, you know, so I had a group of eighth graders and I had a group of seniors. I taught English to eighth graders and I taught African-American literature and history to 12th graders. And at the time I was like um, 22 years old. So my students were 18, you know, they were, they were almost my age. Their older siblings, I've said, were older than I was. And so, you know, it was an interesting dynamic being with these eighth graders who were so creative and so fun, but they were also so young. You know, I, I was like, I am the teacher here. And then I would go into this room of 18-year-olds and I was like looking over my shoulder, like, I hope they don't figure out that <laughs> I just got started in this gig. Did they? <laughs> they, they did not. Um, but I loved the excitement of creating lessons and choosing work to read, listening to my students, having them contribute to the curriculum. It was just thrilling. I mean, it just really was. And I've continued to feel that way. So from there, I think I kind of knew that teaching in an environment like this would be my home, but I also wanted to take the doctorate. I had wanted that since I was in college. And so I went off to Duke University where um, I got my PhD in history. And, you know, of course, there's the logical next step of going off to teach university. And I taught while finishing the doctorate at Amherst College for a year. And I really loved it. But I didn't love it more than I loved teaching Teaching high school. You know, I didn't love it more. There was something about the age group uh, in terms of high school and middle school students that was 
it just, I don't know, it clicked with me more. And so I think I knew at that point that after I finished the doctorate, I would return to a school like this one. And then um, went to Dalton, actually, before I finished the PhD, finished it there, and then stayed on. Oh, wow. This yeah. is like a, like a large kind of question. And uh, like if you don't know if you could answer it, but like, like what is that connection, do you think? Like you, you felt like the compatibility with people yeah. our age in, in high mm -hmm. school. Yeah. Like where do you think that came from? That's a great question. I mean, um, I guess for one, I enjoyed my childhood very much. <laughs> so so yeah. I'm relating to the the Lisa Waller of high school and lower <laughs> school and lower school herself. I, I enjoyed being a young person um, and I enjoyed being around other young people. I was always the kind of person who helped my peers to manage, if you know what I mean. So I was kind of put in a teacherly or maternal role with my peers. So if two, of my, you know, two friends were not, not getting along. Each one would come to me and be like, I can't believe her. And then I would kind of help them to the work mediator. it out. I would mediate. So I think there's a way in which um, I was... I, this makes me sound like the worst friend ever, right? The instructional friend. <laughs> but, you know, I was a friend who people could relate to. And I and I enjoyed that. The mom friend. The mom friend, right? <laughs> I also really loved my teachers right. and felt um, interested in, you know, what they were reading and that sort of thing. But I also was interested in the concerts that they would go to and talk <laughs> about. And, you know, the fact that they had real lives outside of school was actually quite compelling to me. So I think that there's something in um, my ability to... I've held on to my adolescent self and my young adolescent self. Um, I remember that girl and I like her and I, I have compassion for her and excitement for her. And so I think there's a way in which when I see you all going through the halls, I, I just feel comfortable in that <laughs> right. space, you know, and, uh, and I feel like it's an, an amazing calling, really, to to want to spend time in this space. A lot of adults are not comfortable around teenagers. They're not comfortable right. around middle schoolers. Um, some even not comfortable around young children for a variety of reasons, right? Um, and I feel that if you are comfortable in that space and you can maintain, you know, like your adult self while connecting to young people, if you can, you should serve in that space. And I do think right. it's a fine line, right? Because, like, nobody wants that adult who's like, hey, I'm with you all. It's right. like, no, you're not. You're, like, an older person. And you should know that. <laughs> so, you know, it's that it's that ability to be nimble and connected while also being comfortable as an adult who's in a different stage of life and with different things to add. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so... What changes or improvements do you plan to make as the new head of BC? Or like what aspects of the school do you believe can be heightened? And mm -hmm. how do you plan to make those changes? Okay. This is what I've thought about a lot. I don't know if you know, but um, last year the fourth graders wrote to me. Oh. And um, they sent me questions about, you know, my plans for BC. And they were amazing. Some of them were like, you know, what are you, you going to change? And some of them asked me, you know, have you ever had a job before? Oh, my like, God. I was like, I have worked. <laughs> I have worked out there. Um, but I think it's important for me to be um, thoughtful in that part of what the job is this year is really getting to know this school, mm -hmm. coming to know it um, fully, right? And so I think it's very... 
dangerous to come into a school and be like, these are all the changes that I'm going to make. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, you just got here. You barely know what's happening here. And so part of what I really want to do this year is to learn more about BC, to think more about its challenges, the places where it's on very, very steady ground. I think this is a very solid school in all kinds of ways. And so I feel, you know, I've looked under the hood at this point and I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy with the car. Um, I do feel that there's a bit of this sort of like hidden gem thing going on with Berkeley Carroll in that I feel that more people should know more about the amazing program here. Um, I think Berkeley Carroll's reputation goes before it as a place that is a very strong community. Um, and that is very powerful and important to me. But I think it's also important for people to know more about the academic program because it's actually phenomenally robust in some very specific ways. And one of the things that I've been talking about, for instance, is that I perceive that there are opportunities for students to do real hands-on research um, in a very substantive way from lower school through middle school and into, and into high school and beyond. Um, not beyond high school, but you know, all the way through to the end of high school. And um, that is a very critical thing if students are to see themselves not only as consumers of knowledge, but also producers. And I think that sense of agency in the production of knowledge is important for building these sort of lifelong skills that we talk about, the critical ethical global thinking piece. Um, and so that's phenomenal. And when I talk to parents about it, who are considering Berkeley Carroll, they're really excited by that, right? Um, but I'll, they'll often say, oh, we didn't know about that. And I just think it's important yeah. to kind of speak more to that. Um, I think that Berkeley Carroll, though, is a school where people are comfortable and confident about the school. So there's not a lot of braggadocio here. I think that's a positive thing, mm -hmm. frankly. But with my admissions hat, because I did admissions for so many years, I do... Um, I love celebrating the school and talking about it. And I'd like to see, um, you know, more opportunities to, to share more about BC across, across the city. And I think that um, Ms. Prescott um, and Ms. Reese agree with that and want to do that as well. They've done, they've done phenomenal work here at Berkeley Carroll, and I'm excited to see us move that forward. Um, you know, I think that thinking about multiple ways in which the community can come out in support of Berkeley Carroll across the board is also important. Um, and so that's something that I want to know more about, to think about the ways in which um, the program needs to grow and how we do that. Um, you know, questions about the physical space of the school and, and those kinds of expansions. So there are a lot of things on the agenda, but I think it's important to um, give myself an opportunity to more fully understand um, this school and the needs of the people in it. And also, frankly, to give the folks at BC an opportunity to understand me. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Now, you've made it, you're here, mm -hmm. and you are in Park Slope. Big adjustment. And among the student body, there are, let's say, many culinary rivals. <laughs> uh, we have... Ace versus Y and B, mm -hmm. Roma versus Numero, Cousin mm -hmm. John's versus Regular. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a, there's many civil wars going on yes, in the school. Yes, I feel uh, that there are some right answers and wrong answers here. <laughs> <laughs> so this might be the scariest question Yes, of all. yes. But uh, what do you feel like, like are, are the best guys. places for food in Park Slope okay. right now? Uh -oh. So I'm going to say I am agnostic when it comes to the rivalry. <laughs> Bad answer. I support you all. Right? I support you all. But I will tell you what. I, so the first one, Ace versus Y&B, I don't even know what that is. 
Ah, Fair enough. So, oh, no. so that's something oh, I need no. to get. I need to get in there so that I know. <laughs> um, numero is where I've gone for my pizza. Oh, yeah. So I love them. I should make it clear though that I am a child of Chicago, and so there's a whole child nother series dish. of questions okay, to be asked okay. about pizza. But right. if I'm going to be here in New York eating pizza, yeah, um, I've, I've been enjoying my numero. Um, Cousin John's, mm -hmm. I have to say I have a bias for Cousin John's because my sister-in-law actually lives very near to here. Okay. And before I was very familiar with Park Slope, I was very familiar with Cousin John's <laughs> because she would always bring it to any family gathering. She would always bring something from them. And so when I realized that I'd be working across the street, I was like, <laughs> I've done good. So that's like my go-to for my, for my sweets. Um, then there's some other places that I have. I, I have to say I'm all over the Bamigas. Oh, oh yes. yes. I support that. I support them. I support them regularly. And the new place, what's it? Nerd? What's it called? The, the coffee place? place? Oh, yeah. oh I, I haven't been there yet. Though. It's called Nerd something. Something, something nerd. I just know it has a big coffee. And um, at the top. <laughs> that, yeah. They have these tiny palmiers there that I really love. So I will often get two or three of those and bring them here to the office. So I like them. And I try to go all around. Like, I, I'm not, I don't just stay in Park Slope when it comes to food. So, for instance, the Tacombi. The taco place that's over by BAM, that's a regular oh. spot for me as well. I'll, I'll motor down there for some tacos. So oh, I, I like to eat in the whole city. <laughs> so, yeah. Even back in Manhattan still. So, yeah. Um, okay. Um, some sources say, I don't know, I did a little research, that you're mm -hmm. an avid lover of the Spanish language and that you're a speaker yourself. And so they mentioned you enjoy traveling to Spanish-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, which of those experiences traveling were your favorite and why? Okay. Well, um, I have tended to travel to Spain because I met mm -hmm. a friend who was a, an older teacher than I, and she kind of took me under her wing when I was at Milton and she was from Spain. And so that was where my initial interest in the Spanish language unfolded. I had studied Latin as a high school student. And so, you know, I, I would listen to her speaking to her family and I was like, I wanna be a part of that conversation. And so I decided that I would teach myself Spanish so that I could, you know, kind of live in that spot in my mind anyway. And so I started traveling to Spain and, and the decision that I took was that I wanted to travel to the same country over and over oh. rather than traveling to a variety of countries. Partly because I thought this would help me in the acquisition of the language because although Spanish is spoken somewhat differently from one region of Spain to the other, um, I, th I just felt there would be a kind of familiarity that would help me as I tried to learn, you know, to teach myself. And so I would listen to Spanish national radio, read Spanish newspapers and magazines because the vocabulary would be, um, you know, constant and that kind of thing. So I, tend I tended to do a lot of traveling in Spain and I have, as a result, a lot of Spanish friends, which <laughs> draw me back to Spain. So my travels have been really all over that country. I did, however, visit Cuba with my older child, uh, when she graduated high school. And um, it was just outstanding. <laughs> I had such a great time um, meeting people, talking to people, you know, and I just basically put on my little reporter's hat and I'd be like in the back of a taxi, you know, saying, you know, what, what do you think about racism in Cuba? Oh, yes, wow. no, you know, like all of these questions. And, and people were really excited to answer them, you know, so that was really cool. It was also, for me, very interesting to be in a place where you could really see the African diaspora 
within the context of a Spanish-speaking nation, which was something interesting to me as well. So I enjoyed that. I also love music and have performed music over the years. And so that was a plus as well. So I had a great time. And, you know, as you probably know, some of the regulations in terms of travel to Spain have been tight. I mean, uh, to Cuba have been tightened again where they have been loosened, mm -hmm. um, which means I'm not sure whether traveling there will be as easy this time That's around, but I would like to go back. I had a terrific yeah. time. And like the Malecon, you know, and that, that sort of the way that you can stand at that wall, you know, just right as a sea and, you know, the whole city is out oh, there, yeah. like it's the backyard of the city, but then you look beyond and it's like, there's nothing beyond that space, it's the, like the low sky and the clouds and everything. I just felt that it was like such a beautiful place. And it was also, I didn't grow up by the seaside. Of course, I grew up in Chicago, so inland, although we have a very large and beautiful lake. <laughs> so it's, a different, it's a different thing. But um, I had not been um, in waters like that before, where you go in and you can see all the way to the bottom. And there was something about that that was actually quite magical for me as well. We went to the city beach in La Habana and it was like, I was like, I can see my toenail polish. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was warm and wonderful, and people were very engaging. Um, and it was also one of the first vacations I've ever been on where um, there wasn't really much in the way of commerce because of, you know, the embargo and everything. And so I left there and I hadn't really bought anything. You know, it didn't come back with all these things in my luggage. I got a beautiful broom made by this man who was 99 and he was amazing. Oh, wow. And I, I love brooms. He made this little hand broom. I had that. Um, and that was pretty much it. But I had had such a rich experience. So it made me think a lot just about kind of like commercialism in terms of the way people can sometimes think about vacations. And, and that was kind of eye-opening for me as well. Mm -hmm. The architecture is phenomenal. And even like you know, where it's faded, the colors and everything, they're just, it's its like an amazing watercolor. So I got all romantic. I was like, this is beautiful, <laughs> this is beautiful. You know, and I know there are real struggles in, in Cuba as there are in any country, but um, I have to say it was really outstanding and I would love to go back. That's such an interesting way of like putting it because when you hear about the benefits of learning like a second language, it's usually a matter of like, oh, it, it'll help you communicate better it'll help you with work because they'll give you like a foreign country position or something but it's like in your experience it's not only that it's a matter of like you were then able to go to places where you could connect more with people and discover more things about the place in general that yes. like, you just hadn't expected yes i always say that you know the thing about acquiring a language is that's when you end up being at someone's grandmother's birthday party that's mm. the way i always put it you know you're traveling you can speak the language such that, you know, I'm not saying you have to be super fluent, but you can speak the language such that people can communicate with you with ease. And the next thing you know, it's like, well, my grandmother's birthday is tonight. Do you want to come? And then you go, and then you're that much further into the culture, you know? So I love that. I mean, I remember being at a flamenco uh, show and it was like totally not touristy, you know, just like old fashioned flamenco show. And there was an extra pair of seats at my table. The, the capacity to make that to make that connection and to talk about our kids and everything else. The next thing you know, I'm at these people's house. The next thing you know, I'm at their house for three days. The next thing you know, they're in New York and, you know, and now we're friends. And it's just like that to me is, is just the richest and most phenomenal thing ever. Oh, wow. yeah. And so before we sign off, is there anything that you'd like to say to the members of the BC community? Well, Thank you for having me, for one. I'm happy to be here. I want people to come to my open office hours and come to my 
to my office and talk to me about this school. This also, is a plug, by the way. Just make sure you show up. <laughs> show up. Yeah. Right. And also, you know, when I'm out and about, um, I really, I can actually stop and talk if people are willing to stop and talk. I've been chatting with people in the cafeteria. I've been visiting classes. I've gone to some of the games. Um, and I just, I love it, you know, and I want to know you all. And I know it'll take time to know you all because there are a lot of you, but um, it's exciting to me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here and to be in a, you know, a new chapter of my professional life and to think about ways in which I can serve. So it's Yay, all good. We're excited to have you. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. As Berkeley Carroll has invested more time and resources into STEAM courses and applications, and as the science, research, and design program has developed further and further, the research done in the school, specifically in relation to robotics and artificial intelligence, has progressively become more and more specific, more and more complex, more and more undocumented. A couple of years ago, a student was conducting experiments on how a basic neural network could develop links and processes in order to control itself and interpret its environment. It was run off of a computer in the school server closet and was given nothing to start but rudimentary control of a remote robotic body and a stationary radar module. Its body was what's called a soft robot, meaning that instead of a series of metal pieces and joints attached together and powered by motors, it is comprised of what is essentially balloons connected together and pressurized by hydraulics to make them move. The neural network soft robot shell was shaped sort of like a starfish, but several times larger. Six legs spreading from a central core, each leg about two feet in length. In order to control its range, instead of mounting its radar on the body and letting it see in any range around its body, the radar was stationary in the beta lab, meaning it was only able to see things in the beta lab and the surrounding rooms. Leaving that area would essentially mean blindness, as if you had a spotlight on you and leaving that spotlight would mean having no concept of what is around you or where you are in relation to the lighted area. It would be highly disorienting for the robot, as if it would be for any other human. So the student running the experiment presumed the robot would, upon figuring out how to move, deduce that it would be in its best interest not to leave the zone. When the experiment began, it at first seemed like a failure. The researchers thought the neural network had broken. It spent the first day sitting where the researchers placed it, not visibly moving at all. The researchers left it running overnight. This continued for a week. The student wasn't worried. They set up a movement-activated webcam to capture whenever it moved and send the clip to the student doing the project. Overnight, on the seventh day, it moved. The first thing it did was launch itself up on the ends of its legs. Watching the footage from that first night, it looks at first like it's going to start walking like a person, as if it had been analyzing how the people walking through the beta lab moved. But it didn't do that. It had thought of a much more efficient mode of transport. Using its body and outstretched legs like the spokes of a wheel, it cartwheeled itself as what can only be described as an unexpected speed towards the camera, sinking an appendage through the lens. Console timestamps and audio from the webcam show the network smashing the radar and effectively stabbing its own eyes out. The video is the last time the robot was seen in any sort of controlled environment. The narrative information is, from here on out, 
pieced together from various security camera feeds and computer logs, which were backed up before being destroyed. After the sudden destruction of the camera and radar, the robot returned to complete stillness for a couple more hours. Around 3 a.m., the camera's motion sensor was triggered. Although the actual camera was busted, the microphone picked up the sound of the robot flinging itself in that particular cartwheel-like manner through one of the Beta Lab's many windows. While the sound, of course, was just the sound of rubber slapping the floor followed by a colossal smash, judging from the large broken window in the Beta Lab, it was presumed that this was probably what happened. From the way every security camera in the building was methodically punched out over the five minutes after it left the Beta Lab, the network had worked its way through the building and somehow, even with the radar destroyed, managed to mentally map, or at least as mentally as a computer can manage, every surface and corridor and room in the entire building. From the way doors to certain key areas like the library and the cafeteria were punched through, the network clearly could have ventured outside of the school, provided it stayed within range of the school Wi-Fi. But it didn't. It specifically didn't punch down any doors or windows to the outside, like those in the lobby or leading to the roof. It wanted to stay. Nobody knows how the network gained such a high level of intelligence after a week of sitting still. Nobody knows where the robot is now. It is known that somehow, the network was moved to a remote server, because one of the last known things it did was smash every system in the server closet. But it wasn't found dead in the closet. It wasn't found at all. It hasn't been found. It hasn't been seen. All that is known about the whereabouts of the network is that the burglary alarms on the outside openings in the school haven't been tripped. No more doors or windows have been destroyed overnight. And every now and then, the motion-activated lights in the hallways go off overnight. That was a creepypasta by Peter Fabens. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beecast. Uh, we're going to have an episode out in about two weeks, so a much faster turnaround time than we've had. So without further ado, let's thank our team. Administrators, we That's have us. Teddy Friedman, Solray Vashas, and Alba Martinez. For our editors, we have Dal Minerva, Lucas Diamond, Johnny Kirvin, and Sora Guthrie. For artwork, we have the one and only Kira Maynard. For music, we have Matt Pinnock, Alex Conklin, and Ice and Ritchie. For interviewers, we have Sophia Lavion, Chloe Poyo, and Grace Freeman. For our writers, we have Clay Johnson, Khalif Levine, Peter Fabens, and Amna Tariq. And finally, for our recorders, which is a new job, we have Peter Smith. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to all of our staff so much for helping out. And as always, thank you, Mr. Mabry, for all that you do for us. We, we could not have done this show without the one and only Mr. Mabry. So, round of applause. Thank you again for listening, and as always, I'm Solray, and I'm Teddy, and this is Bcast out.